Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Eddie Ramos. Let's bow our heads forward to prayer. Dear Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here, for uh, allowing us to go through your word and understand truths, Lord. Uh, we pray that you continue to guide us into truth, uh, that you continue to be with us uh, during this hour of trial, Lord. Um, just be with each and every one of us, those who couldn't make it, those listening in, Lord, um, those on the track trips. Uh, when you please bless them, keep them safe. Uh, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I'm grateful uh, for the wisdom that's been coming forth from the Bible. Uh, just how God is always teaching us his truths. Uh, how he's continually allowing us to have harmonize uh, more and more truths from his word. Things like annihilation um, rather than eternal torment. Things like spiritual judgment rather than a physical judgment. Uh, and also things like payment for sins before the foundation of the world rather than at the cross. We, um, we understand that the death of Christ and payment for sin at the cross um, is, un- is looked at by the majority or probably all of the professed Christians of the world as a plain and simple truth. You know, they look at the cross and they say, that's when payment for sin was made. Um, to this day, they can see that Christ came into the world at the end of the Old Testament era um, to die and pay for sins on the cross. Um, there's many verses in the Bible that attest to this, you know, and we, as we go through the Gospels, we can see how everything plays out. But as we continue to to look through the Bible, we begin to see that there's a lot of verses in the Bible that disagree with the way that we previously understood this. Uh, And that's kind of what I want to go over this morning. Um, I want to go over the fact that Christ did indeed die uh, to pay for the sins of his people, um, but it wasn't at the cross. Uh, He did that before the world began. So if you would, could you turn to Colossians 1.18 with me? I want to start by looking at the uh, at the death of Christ. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, the word preeminence here relates to being first. Um, if we look uh, also at Revelation 1.5, we're going to find a very similar statement. Revelation 1.5. In Revelation 1.5 we read, And Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten from the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay, These two verses are telling us, um, one says he is the firstborn from the dead, the other says he is the first begotten from the dead. These are the two exact same words. Uh, they're both Strong's number G. Four four one six. Um, so the question we have to answer is, how can Christ's death on the cross qualify him to be called the first begotten from the dead, when there were others who were raised from the dead before him? Um, I found six accounts in the Bible as I was looking through of six people that were raised from the dead before Christ went to the cross. Um, so in actuality, Christ was the seventh. Uh, if I may have, if I missed any, uh, then, you know, somebody may please say something, but 
as I looked through, uh, the only thing that I found was six, Christ being the seventh one. Um, so we're not going to read all of the accounts, but what I want to do is I want to take a, a look at the first one. Uh, the first account is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, it's about the widow's son of Zarephath. 1 Kings 17, uh, verse 17, uh, we'll read to, uh, to the end of the chapter. It says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And he said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto Jehovah and said, O Jehovah, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto Jehovah and said, O Jehovah, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And Jehovah heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came in unto him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house, and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of Jehovah in thy mouth is truth. Okay, so this child was dead. Um and was brought back to life. Uh, there's uh, five other accounts, and I'm not going to go through them just for time's sake, but I'm going to give you the references. Um, the second one was the Shunammite son, and that's found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 20 through 37. It was raised from the dead by Elisha. The third one um, was a man who was tossed into Elisha's tomb, uh, found in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21. Uh, he was actually raised from the dead by Elisha's bones. The fourth person uh, was the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 16, who was raised from the dead by Jesus. Uh, the fifth one was Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, Mark chapter 5, verse 35 through 43, also raised from the dead by Jesus. Uh, and of course, Lazarus uh, in John chapter 11, who was raised from the dead by Jesus. Um, and then, of course, when Christ went to the cross, uh, he was the seventh. Uh, so here we have six accounts of others that have been raised from the dead prior to Jesus um, going to the cross. And three of them were raised by Jesus himself. Uh, so our job as Bible students is we have to be able to harmonize this. We have to be able to look at this and say, how can we harmonize this? Um, the Bible declares that Jesus Christ was the first to raise from the dead. Yet as we read, we can see that others were raised from the dead before him. So as we search the Bible, God in his mercy is allowing us to understand uh, this mystery. Um, please turn to Revelations 13.8. We'll begin to see um, how this is going to start fitting together. Revelations 13.8 we read, And all that dwell upon the face Sorry, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, so Revelations 13.8 is telling us uh, when Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, was slain. It was from the foundation of the world. 
Uh, the word here translated as slain is Strong's number 4969, and it is also the word that's translated as kill. Um, so in other words, it's telling sell- us that Jesus Christ was killed from the foundation of the world. Uh, now, if this seemed to be getting more confusing, it's actually uh, beginning to harmonize. If we understand that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world, as Revelation 13.8 states, then our first two verses that we read in Colossians 1.18 and Revelation 1.5, they start becoming more understandable. Um, so now what we're looking at, when we look at the other people now that seem to have been raised from the dead before Jesus, uh, were actually raised after Christ, making him the first begotten from the dead. Uh, in other words, when the Bible declares that Jesus Christ was the first begotten from the dead, it's not speaking of his death and resurrection at the time of the cross. It's speaking of his death and resurrection before the world began. Um, this is when eternal life was made possible, you know, by his death. Um, we turn to Titus chapter 1, verse 1. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So notice that God promised here, what he promised before the world began was eternal life. The next two verses we're going to read tells us how eternal life was made possible and when it was made possible. Uh, So let's take a look at first the how. It's in Romans 6.23. In Romans 6.23 we read, For the wages, or payment, of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is telling us that according to God's law, uh, the payment required for sin was death. It's also telling us that eternal life came through Jesus Christ. Now let's take a look at when this occurred. Uh, turn to 2 Timothy 1.9. In 2 Timothy 1.9 we read, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in or through, it's the same word, Christ Jesus before the world began. Okay, so here we're told that Jesus Christ saved us and called us through his death. Uh, and he did this before the world began, not at the cross, as we once thought. So we're, we're going to take a look at this from another angle. Turn to Romans 1.4. Romans 1.4. In Romans 1.4 we read, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so here Romans 1.4 is telling us that Jesus Christ was not only declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, he was also declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, so understanding Romans 1.4 is going to allow us to understand other verses that we may have previously overlooked or taken for granted before. Uh, Please turn to Matthew 3.17. In Matthew 3.17 we read, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So notice here at Jesus' baptism, that Jesus Christ had not yet gone to the cross, nor was he buried, 
nor had he risen from the dead, and yet he is called the Son of God. Okay, but according to Revelations 1 4, uh, being declared the Son of God came by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, the only way this can harmonize is if we understand everything we've learned so far, that Jesus Christ died and rose again before the foundation of the world to make payments for, to make payment for sin, thereby being declared to be the Son of God with power. Now when he appeared at the time in the Old Testament era, God could say of him, this is my beloved son, uh, because Jesus had already risen from the dead. So we're going to take a closer look at the words with power uh, from Romans 1.4. This is another confirmation that Jesus Christ had to have risen from the dead, from the foundation of the world, to be declared to be with power, because he possessed this power um, before he went to the cross. So the word power in Romans 1.4 is Strong's number G1411. And we find it being used in Luke 6.19 as the word virtue. Let's take a look at Luke 6.19. In Luke 6.19 we read, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue, or power, out of him, and healed them all. Okay, this last part of the verse tells us that the power that went out of Christ was the power to heal. Okay, and we understand that this represents forgiveness of sins. Um, Matthew 9, 6. But that ye may know that the Son of God hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. Uh, also we read in Luke five twenty three, Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them. And he took up that whereon he lay, and departed into his own house, glorifying God. So the subject of forgiveness of sins um, brings us to the last, um, the last way we want to look at this here. Um, if payment for sins took place at the cross, as we once believed, uh, how then could Jesus have forgiven sins before he went to the cross? Okay, According to Hebrews 9.22, let's turn there real quick. Uh, God has laid down a law that is a requirement before sins can be forgiven. In Hebrews 9.22, we read, Almost all things are done by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Okay. The word remission here is the word forgiveness. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Uh, and yet, we, as Jesus was going through um, the, in the Gospels, we see that he always forgave sins. He always forgave sins. He had the ability, he had the power to forgive sins. So, again, how do we understand this? Um, Others believe that it was through animal sacrifices. Uh, that's how sins were forgiven. Okay, um, but again, uh, you know, the Bible does not agree with this. Let's turn to Hebrews ten four. In Hebrews ten four, it says, "For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins." Um, let's jump down to verse eleven. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering some, oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never 
take away sins. Okay, so forgiveness of sins never came through animal. If forgiveness of sins never came through animal sacrifices or offerings, how then was Christ able to forgive sins before the cross? Okay, so we begin to see this starting to fit together here, um, and the only answer is is by being the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, thereby, He met all the requirements of God's law. Um, that were necessary to forgive sins and to grant eternal life. Uh, turn to Hebrews 4.3. In Hebrews 4.3 we read, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Again, once we understand that Jesus Christ died, and rose again from the foundation of the world, then was declared to be the Son of God with power, then we can understand the events that took place uh, when Jesus appeared in the New Testament era to make manifest the payment for sin that had already taken place before the world began. God, let's turn real quick to 2 Timothy 1.8. 2 Timothy 1.8, uh, from 8 to 10, we'll read, uh, be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in or through Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath wrought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Also, let's take a look at 1 Peter 1, verse 19. In 1 Peter 1, 19-21, we read, But the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Okay, so in closing, God is emphasizing that salvation was made possible through Jesus Christ before the world began. Uh, that's when he was made manifest, uh, he, he, he made himself manifest. He appeared. He came to demonstrate uh, what he had accomplished before the world began. Uh, and he did this for the benefit of his elect. Uh, that was the condensed version, sorry. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and close for the word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again um, for allowing us to be here, Lord. We thank you for uh, for what is being taught. Father, we pray that uh, everything that we say may be faithful, um, that you may continue to guide us, Lord, and that you may just be with us, Lord, as we search through your word, as we, as we desire to understand truth. Um, we pray that you continue uh, in opening up our eyes, Lord, for everything that you would have us to understand. Um, uh, bless the uh, meal we're about to have, Lord. Uh, we pray that uh, you might bless the fellowship that we also have. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. 
For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.